0: hello and welcome nationals fans to the Dogcast, the podcast that wishes it could get some of that deferred money the nats love giving out i'm your host blake finney and apparently i'm the the master of timing today because we managed to Arrange the podcast for the day they signed Patrick Corbin. Uh, on today's episode, we're joined by MLB.com's Nats beat writer Jamal Collier. How are you doing, Jamal?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, you know, nothing to do this offseason, nothing to write about, <laughs> nothing to talk about. So I don't, you know, I don't know what we're going to do here for the next hour. or So, but <laughs> I'm doing Pretty well.
0: Quiet, quiet winner so far. Yeah.
1: yeah. So pe- when, when, whenever people ask, you know, what are you, what are you doing in offseason? What are you doing? Baseball season's over, and I'm, I'm like, guys, they've done like eight things. <laughs> this offseason I don't know what offseason even means anymore
0: (laughs) so there's only really one place to start on the podcast Nats uh earlier today agreed to a six-year $150 million contract with Corbin that's been the reported figure so 23 and a third million per season uh, and obviously some of that trademark deferred money um so what did you make to the eventual figure because obviously I think they were the Nats were always going to pursue Corbin this offseason but now that The figures in what do you make to that
1: yeah you know this is kind of a bit of a real-time reaction because the deal kind of happened you
0: know a couple hours ago
1: as we're recording this and i've kind of been writing about it um and and trying to get some of those numbers confirmed or or reported on um so i haven't had a chance until really right now to somewhat intentionally knowing i was coming to this podcast even (laughs) think about think about this deal but um you know i like it Uh, i think that uh I'll start off by giving my feelings on Patrick Corbin. First of all, he's he's the master of timing. Um, You know, he's a guy who's not been consistent. Not the word you'd use for him. I mean, he was really really good last season and was really one of the most consistent starters in baseball last season. But you know, we're talking about a guy who uh, had Tommy John in 2014, missed the entire season, was half a season in 2015. Uh, He was in the bullpen, demoted at some point in 2016. You know, in 2017 he was pretty good, you know, four, I think he had an you know, area somewhere around four was, you know, not a bad starter, but not somebody you would think would be the the top prize and, and get this kind of money. So, um, you know, I think that j- he just got this kind of perfect timing where he had his best season and put together uh, really, a just really good in 2018 and seems to be on the upswing. So he's kind of, you know, why that number looks the way it does. Um, I, I, I do like the deal because I think the starting pitching for them was just, they had to address it. And I think, you know, I kind of laid, I wrote about this actually on Monday, uh, you know, just about their need for a starting pitcher. And it was, as I kind of laid it out, just the way the rotation was set up, it was really Max Scherzer and a bunch of question marks. Uh, And and Steven Strasburg, I I feel probably a little stronger about than most people that I think he'll be fine. But, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no guarantee with a guy who, and I say, I think he'll be fine. And and I'd say that knowing that he's going to be a month on a disabled list. Um, So... You know, th- this is a long way winded to say I think that Patrick Corbin is really good. I think he is a guy who's getting better, who slider is one of the best pitchers pitches in baseball. And that is a a tangible difference from the Patrick Corbin that we saw that was in the bullpen and hurt than the one that we've seen that was an all star and finished fifth in, in the Cy Young voting. Um, so that being said, the Nats are, have been so steadfast in their kind of um, focus and they're, 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 they're building their foundation on starting pitching that this move made a lot of sense. Um it's kind of interesting to think about that, you know, the Phillies and the Yankees, those teams that were involved, they all reportedly were, they stopped short of six years. They went to five with Corbett and six years will pay him until he's uh, 35, I believe. Um, he's 29, yeah, 29 now. So until he's 35 years old. Um, interesting just to think about that. they weren't willing to go to that extra year and the Nats uh, didn't have a problem going, going that far.
0: Yeah. I wonder whether some of that kind of development of the slide, like you said, it's something that's kind of come on in the last, Couple years is that something that's going to help him pitch towards the end of that deal? Do you think?
1: I, I, I think there's reason to think that this is not a guy who is is going to be up and down, um, and that's the way I look at it. The fact that you know he has had the slider kind of develop and just uses it as frequently as he has has been a new thing. That almost makes you it makes it easier to look at the rest of his career, look at the the bullpen struggles and the injury and say that's all in the past. And this is the new Patrick Corbin version that we've seen over the last 18 months or so. And that's a pitcher that's worth one hundred and forty million. So I think that 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 to me would make me would make me feel good about investing this kind of money in him. Now we're talking about a pitcher who is going to be thirty next summer, who is got had an elbow surgery already, which the Nats, of course, are never never scared of. But um, there are no other reasons to say, and and I do get if people look at that money and cringe, or look at that value and and and, and you know are not sure about it, uh, people who may not like the deal. Um, but I think that that this was, you know, it's it just so such a need for them. We know, we'll talk about Bryce Harper. I'm sure a lot here of this podcast, but whether or not he comes back, they had to replace his value and his the wins that you lose from him in some way. And Corbin easily helps that. And it was an area again that they just had to upgrade and they had to to add something else to that rotation to get something closer to a sure thing when they don't have a whole lot of those.
0: Yeah, I think what what they wanted, like you said, you had um, you were talking about it in your article, you had Scherzer and a bunch of question marks and. You have Strasbourg, who's really, really good when he's there, but like you said, he's going to be out. You pretty much write him off for a month of the season, and when that happens, like last season, you had Joe going through inconsistencies, right going through inconsistencies. Elixir yeah. was kind of reliable, but then he got injured as well. So having Corbin there gives them that solid number two if Strasbourg does go down and kind of lines the rotation where they want it to be.
1: Yeah, I, I think about Strasbourg almost similarly to. Rich Hill and I always feel like I'm the high man. I feel like I'm always <laughs> defending Strasburg everywhere I go. And <laughs> but um, you know I think I'm similar to the Dodgers and Rich Hill. Nobody in the Dodgers ever complains. Rich Hill doesn't make 35 starts a year or whatever, um, and they don't really expect it. They kind of book it for they they skip him once in a while. They give him a phantom DL stint. They do you know whatever it is. And if they get 27 starts out of Rich Hill and and he's really good, and they've got him ready for the playoffs. They they take that and run. And that's kind of how I feel about Strasburg, where I'm saying, "Yeah, you are going to get 34 stars in Twitter? Are you going to get those same max numbers? Probably not. But he's still a really, really good elite pitcher when he is on the mound, and his best to – trying to find a way to, to to maximize those times when he's on the mound and keep him healthy and keep him healthy when it counts. Um, because we saw in the playoffs a couple of years ago, if he is on the mound for you that late, and he's kind of at the peak of his performance, you're talking about a guy who is as good as, you know, as, as max can be. And I think that, um you know, that, that's how I would, that's how I view Strasburg is and when I'd say that he's a question, but I know the velocity thing is a whole different discussion and, and whether or not that is concerning. Um, and I'm willing to kind of wait and see whether or not that comes back, but um, yeah, I mean, Max Mac Scherzer, Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin at the top of your rotation is uh, it's, it's just really nasty and really, you know, again, what do you think about how this team has been built when they've been successful? They've had that kind of rotation, that kind of strength at the top of their starting pitching um, that's made them successful.
0: Yeah, and I think you you touched on it. I think it's the question that everyone seems to be asking after that signing. What does it mean for Bryce Harper and kind of yeah. as, the, as the roster currently stands? Like, they could probably just about fit him in and stay under the luxury tax, but I don't think it's going to come down to that. It's, um, it's probably going to come down to ownership and whether they decide that they want him back.
1: And, and this is a little bit kind of what I'm writing for. Uh, you know, this is the report is on Tuesday night and for, for Wednesday morning. Um, that Just trying to, try to piece that out. It's just what does this mean for Bryce Harper? And that's obviously the, the, the big story that everybody's kind of focused on. Um, it, it feels like it's going to be independent um that that bryce and it's kind of what this one person has described to me uh is that, that bryce is just independent from what they were doing and what the rest of their kind of offseason to-do list was um because and Rizzo's mentioned this you know a couple of times publicly that a contract that big and that lucrative and that long has to involve ownership and it's going to be a kind of group decision between ownership between him and and with boris to try to sit down and work out those details and, and, and how that you know how that contract would work and i think that uh this corbin signing does not necessarily make me it's, it's hard to tell whether or not that'll mean that ownership will be more or less inclined to cut a check for bryce harper you know that is going to be a, you know a third of a billion dollars if not more um and definitely more you know i mean it's just going to be uh uh, so I so think it's, again, it's difficult to tell. I would I would venture to guess that it's not going to make much of an impact. The Nats, from the beginning, been pretty vocal about where you need a starting pitcher. That was a pursuit that they had, to, you know, something they going they were going to target. And Patrick Corbin was a guy that they pretty early focused in on and said, "We are targeting him." So I think that this is not a uh, it's not a signing out of nowhere for them. I mean, this is something that they potentially had on their plans, and have always kind of been expected to kind of check back in on Bryce. Uh, but I mean, you know, t- to your point, kind of the question here is I think there's almost for sure, just based on some of the other little needs they they have, if they sign Bryce, they're almost for sure going to have to go over the luxury tax. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That, and obviously, they're going to, you know, some of that money might be deferred with him and maybe some of that will will offset it. I'm not exactly sure what the maybe AAB of that deal may look like, but I just find it kind of hard to believe doing the kind of amateur math I was doing today that. They could get both in and not go over that tax. Um, and they have, They in the last two seasons, they went over that number. Um, it's going to be around $206 million next year. And they've said that they would like to come in under that. Um, there's no reason that they could not just go over that again if they want to be all in and, and capitalize and try to win the division now. And I would argue that they should do that. Uh, but it's just interesting to say that they, they've been publicly saying we don't, you know, that's not a number want we want to cross. To get Bryce Harper now, you'd have to probably cross that number and whether or not they are willing to do that is is, is kind, of, kind of remain to be seen.
0: Yeah, I think all, all the moves so far are exactly what you would have expected the team to do, regardless of Bryce. So when you're coming up with these off-season plans, you go, right, yeah. we get Bryce, we get a start, we get some bullpen, we upgrade the catcher, and that's what they've done. So it's kind of falling into line with that, even with Bryce. It's kind of these secondary needs that are going to determine the rest that we're probably going to talk about in a bit, like second base, maybe a, another star.
1: And again, I think that's that's you know, if, if they are going if, if the Corbin thing affects anything, I would think that perhaps it affects those other those other things a little more. That perhaps, you know, they're they're a little more reluctant to spend big on a second baseman or reluctant to spend big on another bullpen arm or such. And this is just me speculating here, but um I would guess that that again the Harper thing is just such a different matter because we're talking about an entirely separate contract and a yeah. separate kind of sum of money that's gonna deal with ownership and a whole different thing. Um, you know, but but again, you 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 just kind of nailed it off. I mean we're already we're here in December fourth and and, and the have crossed, you know, two, three things really off their to-do list here or really made some some pretty you know significant progress toward crossing those things off.
0: Yeah, he's determined to keep Nat's reporters busy this winter. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which is good. Good. We you know we don't have anything else to do. We just kinda of sit in our winter and <laughs> Way will wait um, for baseball City to come back.
0: <laughs> so, other than Corbin, they've uh, started by making some other moves. So, first off, I think it was during the playoffs when they, uh, it was kind of, it seems like a really opportunistic move when they brought in Carl yeah. uh, Blair Bearclaw from the Marlins. So, when the Marlins were valuing their uh, international signing money above everything else, and they got him for, I think it was reported at just one million, and kind of you're taking a, a good flyer on a guy at the, the back end of the bullpen there.
1: I, I actually really like that move. It, it, like you said, it was kind of a, a it felt like, a, like a, just an opportunistic kind of jumping, jumping everything. Cause it was, um, I forget where I was. I was somewhere, it was right after the season ended and I was somewhere just not expecting anything to be happening. And I kind of got in word um, that morning to be aware that something could happen <laughs> or, you know, a, a trade could happen. i was like, what, what could it, on October 5th? <laughs> Can they even do it? Is that allowed? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I thought that Bear Claw is a guy who uh, yeah, there's there's some numbers in there. They look at it that potentially like okay, they didn't have the best season with Miami last year, but um, he's been really good as recently. He's been really good in a closer and pitched some in big innings for them uh, in, in the last couple of years. And I think that taking a flyer at a guy like that is just is smart. And you said it cost them virtually nothing spending that international bonus money. Um, you know, that they're somewhat restricted in any way to be able to use. So it's, uh, I, you know, I like that signing. And it was a, so Clear sign early, looking on it back, looking back on it now, like, okay, they were, they had some kind of targets here that they wanted to, to, to hit. And, and um, if they've hit it, obviously everybody always goes out and say, this was exactly the guy we wanted. Um, but just based on the way they've operated and based on how aggressive they've been, um, I, I, I'm led to believe that they've they've hit on some of the guys they wanted earlier.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think with uh, with Bearclaw, it's probably going to do him a bit... I think he struggled when he was in the closed role, so maybe having yeah. him in that seventh-inning role, filling him for Rosenthal, we'll talk about in a second, might benefit him there.
1: Yeah, he, you know, he, he's, an, he, um, he's been an interesting guy. Relievers are just weird in general that, you know, one year they it feels like they are so they're great, and one year they're not. I mean, Edwin Diaz, who essentially the Mets just paid a, a, a king's ransom for uh was demoted from the clothes role for like a couple weeks <laughs> as, as soon as a year ago i mean i think that i kind of was thinking about that and just just kind of how weird that all works out and then i'm not saying Edwin Diaz is not good he's probably one of the best you know four or five league pitchers in baseball but uh it's just there's such a such a volatile position that i, I was thinking about this. i've been thinking about this pretty much since a couple of years ago that year with chapman uh lance and the free remember the big free aid and Nats really needed rips because it was twenty sixteen and really Nats really needed a closer. And I was thinking to myself like man, why would you pay for any of these guys ever when I just have no idea when a is gonna be good or when they're not or when they're stopped. It just it's just such a weird volatile position. But um that's an aside that we can talk about at some other point. <laughs> I, I like the bet though on Bear Claw having a bounce back. I think that, you know, putting him in that role, have, you know having him pitch big innings but not uh the ninth inning. Um you know, I think it's yeah, it's got a chance to be a good a good move for him.
0: Speaking of relievers, who could be volatile? The uh, the second move they made was bringing in Trevor Rosenthal on a one-year six million dollar deal with a vesting 14 million option. Um was that something that the Nats targeted quite early? Because he obviously had that work out in October, I think yeah. it was. So was that someone that they really set their sights on?
1: Yeah. And I think this was this is one of the moves I kinda of alluded to where it was like this was a guy. I think they knew they could get a, a good reliever, who's been one of the elite, you know, closers and bullpen arms in the game, and get him at what it what could be under market value. I mean, you know, he's got a bunch of incentives tied in there, and you know, if he ends up closing and, and pitching a lot of innings, he it might be kind of right around market value. <laughs> but I think that they were, t- you know, comfortable taking that gambling, saying, here's a guy who is healthy, and and they feel is is looked you know looked really good to work out. It was touching upper nineties. You know, it's, it's hard to tell them those things that are not facing hitters, but you know, by all accounts, they loved what they saw in the workout, um, and I think the chance to get that guy <clears throat> and add him to your pen, when not getting in, and not getting into the huge bidding wars that the Andrew Millers or the the Craig Kemballs or those guys will necessarily take. Uh, again, I think it was just something they just they 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 early on when they look for value, they look for value, and they look for. Um, the kind of deals that that like i said sometimes come under market value this was one that they uh were pretty focused in on and i think that um was so one that i liked you know i kind of thought about it for a second because rosenthal was uh hurt and then you know even before the injury was kind of had, had dropped off a bit um but i think that you know again based on the the commitment you had to do to him for one year and, and potentially uh just kind of the incentives and tied to it i thought it, it was very similar to the greg holland deal which is one that I argued a couple of years ago that they should have been looking for something like that in general. Um, a guy where it's, you know, low risk because if he's hurt again or he's not very good again, you can pretty much kind of cut him and part your ways and just kind of eat the six or seven million dollars that you kind of may. And that's easy for me to say to, to eat six or seven million dollars, but um, it is, uh, you know, grand scheme of things. It's a manageable sum and, and it, and it works comes the worst. It's a one year deal that you can get out of.
0: Yeah, I think the the one thing that did give me pause at first on a first story, it was that fourteen million option. Um, yeah. But I think it only vests if he pitches in fifty games or closes thirty. So yeah, it, pretty it, much if if that comes to it, then you know exactly what you're getting, and you're going to be wary. wary of that.
1: Yeah, basically, he'd have to be a really good pitcher and and, be, and perhaps take over as the closer and do really well for it to get those to get that option. I think that. Um, you know, if that happens, people will probably be like, "You, you'd be happy taking him on that money the second year because he would have had a good year and proven that he was healthy and proven he's closer to the pitcher that he was uh, when
0: he was an all-star." Yeah, Um and then the the next addition—it's getting quite quite long this section—but Um but <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Suzuki was another one that came a bit out of the blue. I think he was on a Monday morning of yeah. all two-year, ten million dollar deal, and. I think Rizzo was saying that he was, or Suzuki said it on the conference call, um, that he was uh, aggressively pursued by the Nats, kind of. I think it's a sign in that it left them kind of as a, another catcher optional. They they would then be comfortable going in with Suzuki and maybe Keebum or Severino, but they could still improve if they wanted to.
1: Yeah, so I, I was actually on vacation, uh, you know, in, <laughs> in, uh, in London, as a matter of fact, when this signing came down. Uh, so I had kind of been removed from it and, and and saw it, the news of it actually after it broke. Um, and I was not, I, was, I wasn't able to kind of chime in on real time on this. And, and I'm going to kind of put this with the, with the Gomes trade that um, I'm sure we'll get to next here that I was not as in on this trade or the, this signing individually as everybody else seemed to be. Um, you know, I saw a lot of praise on Twitter just from other people writing about it when they got it. I think part of that is the Nats the catcher just been a dead spot <laughs> for two years. And I think anything, you know, since Ramos, anything, anything that just has a chance to be a positive production, I think people are just excited about. And I get that indication. Um, Suzuki is 35, I believe. He has not caught uh, a full slate of games in, you know, two or three years. Um, he is, is a really good offensive catcher and uh, has, uh, he's a really good offensive catcher and he has, has put up really good numbers at times. Um, And I I still have confidence that he can do that, but I thought if you're thinking on Suzuki for 90 to 100 games and counting on 60 or 70 games of Pedro Severino and Spencer Kibum or whatever combination of that, um, I thought you're probably kidding yourself because that's pretty much what you had last year upgrade on Suzuki from Wieters, but uh, you're going to either get to a position where Kibum and Severino were not going to be productive and you're going to be inclined to play Suzuki more, who is... 35 and has not caught that many games in so long so you're talking about him wearing down either losing production or getting hurt and now you've got a it just it just it left open way too many questions so I like the signing a lot when you pair it with the trade for Yon Gomes um, and if you know if you want to go into that now I thought that now they have potentially one of if not the best catching duos you know, in the majors you know when you have two guys and you can split them evenly play the hot hand kind of Play splits whatever you kind of want to do but two guys who are uh, you know the, the catching is such a weak position right now hitting hitting across the majors uh, I think there was a hundred you know catchers what I think was 250 plate appearances or something like that it wasn't even it was much but it was uh the guys who were hitting league average just league average 100 100 uh, you know OPS plus last year there was 12 two of them are now the Nats roster. And I think that that is how you upgrade a position. If you don't want to pay the price for JT Real Muto, and based off everything I've heard about how high it still is, it makes sense. Um, that is kind of what you do to try to find value to, to to get this position where one catcher is probably not enough. There's just not that many catchers who you can start out there for 130 games. Um, and that's why the price on Real Muto is so high. So, um, long way to again for me to say that I like both the moves combined a lot more than any of the moves individually. Um, and I am pretty, I am pretty high on Jan Gomes. I think he's a, is a really good, you know, he's really good as a hitter last year. He's a great pitch framer. Um, and he is just a, a plus on defensive catcher, which again, I don't think leaders, despite all the, the, the you know spin we've heard from Boris the last couple of years, I don't think Beatles was a plus on defense at all either. Um, I think that this is it, this has got a chance for that this, the position to be a strength for the Nats, and um, it's wild because that was just their biggest minus consistently for the last you know 24 months.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think I wrote about this recently. And the last two seasons, the Nationals have had negative WAR from the coach yeah. position, and now they get two of the top 10 in that two-year span. So, like you say, it was a bit uh a bit strange when suzuka was saying like oh yeah i'm ready to catch 100 120 games and i think he he caught about 80 with the braves and that's probably what got the best out of him like, right in time down the middle with tyler flowers
1: and i, th- I think like sometimes i forget it there was a player in Anast a couple of years ago who were and they make sometimes like this too where it's like <laughs> when these guys do well in these small samples or these kind of control you know platoons people want them to play more play more play more and that doesn't always work <laughs> I mean a lot of times the reason their numbers do look as good as they are is. and, and Jeremy Ellickson is kind of a perfect scenario from this right you can look at Jeremy Ellison this year and obviously had the injuries but um you know his ERA is in the three somethings and and he's got a lot of kind of positive numbers um but the Nats really controlled that he didn't face the, the third time through he didn't he didn't you know, he wasn't in bad matchups, uh, you know, third time through the order or whatever it was, or when there was the first time of trouble, they got him out of there. And I think that is in general where baseball is kind of going more, where you have, you know, the, the guys who are, you can throw out there and they're throwing 200 innings, are they throwing, uh, you know, they're starting 150 of game. That's why we're seeing the Patrick Corbin's and the Bryce Harpers get paid so much, because that's, I'm not sure that's going to be the norm anymore in the next 10 years or so. Uh, we're going to see a lot more players splitting or, or kind of combining to, to try to fill one, Once position,
0: yeah, I think uh, I think defo was in that category Mm -hmm. when he he impressed when he filled in in 2017 as a starter, but then
1: yes, he's exactly what I was thinking about, yeah. And people were wondering, can defo play more? And I was thinking, eh, I remember having a conversation with Dusty about
0: that actually, too. As a matter of fact,
1: and uh, he was like, no, defo's playing enough,
0: (laughs) yeah. I think we we saw it this year that he's uh, kind of it was one of the Themes of the Murphy trade where would Defoe be able to step up in that full-time second baser and obviously yeah. as we saw he's uh not quite ready for it so yeah. so uh next we've got Gomes, who you obviously touched on before um I think that was announced last Thursday if I'm remember right but um they gave up Daniel Johnson Jeffrey Rodriguez and then a, a player to be named later and yeah. uh I think that's kind of dealing from where the Nats have a lot of players. Obviously, Johnson's blocked in the outfield with um, Robles, Soto, Eden, etc. And then Jeffrey Rodriguez was kind of in that group of pitchers who were trying to fill in that fourth and fifth spot last year. And and I I think uh, Rizzo mentioned he was actually thinking about having him as the long reliever. So I I think personally, I quite like that trade package for Gomes, who you've got three years of control over. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I love this trade. I, I thought some people kind of pushing back on it for Jeffrey Rodriguez necessarily just because a team who's been on starting pitching depth was, you know, trading one of their potential starters. And I, I think I always was also operating under the belief that Jeffrey Rodriguez is probably going to be best used somewhere in the bullpen. Um, you know, he just really just barely has a third pitch. And I just didn't see really a long-term future as a starter and really didn't see anything. You know, he had some flashes uh last season you know when he when he made some starts but you know i I never saw anything there that i that i couldn't give up in the right deal i thought that again catcher was just such a dire need for them and this was just said it's a perfect fit that i thought that you know the price they paid for him jen you know daniel johnson like you said their outfielder is is their biggest strength in the organization and, and he is probably projecting to somewhere around a fourth outfielder anyway um you know which they have they have of surplus of those <laughs> to be honest and Andrew Stevenson and the Bautistas and the Michael Taylor. I mean, it, they have guys like that. So I just, I just didn't, um yeah, you know, I thought this was a good trade for them. And I thought, again, I, I talked about how highly I think of Gian Gomes, um, especially in the kind of role to use him with Suzuki. I, I, I like, um, I like the trade they made for him. And I think that this was, uh, you know, one of their, they made a lot of moves here that i continue to keep but I've liked, but I really liked this one as as, as, as well. I think and I'm pretty sure that was made on a Friday night. Um because it was it was I was sitting around waiting for Sammy Solis's uh tender <laughs> non tender decision. Uh I also got you know the, the wind of this start coming out. So, so is some wild Friday nights here this winter.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, <laughs> oh, I, think uh, I think the the gone stuff leaked first and then it was Solis. And then Solis, yeah. So it, and then it was confirmed by the t- team yeah. and so they announced it. Yeah. Yeah, so. that, that was a fun <laughs> fun day. Um but yeah, I think uh One of the interesting things from Winterfest is that Jerza was talking about how it might take a little while to come along, and I wonder if there's some similarities there because, obviously, Gomes is coming from a stack pitching staff in Cleveland with Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer. So, I wonder if there's some crossover. Obviously, it's going to take some time to actually learn the pitching staff, but I think we saw it pretty quickly when Wheaters initially came in that they can start to handle it well.
1: Yeah, I actually kind of always think this stuff's a little overblown, um, that we've seen, especially veteran catchers uh, and veteran starters, that both these guys, both them know what they want to do. And, and, and they've got enough time between now and spring training to talk and look at video and, and learn those things. And then they've got spring training, which. I can remind everybody is literally a million weeks long for them to go <laughs> over these things and catch bullpens and catch SIM games and then catch spring training games and catch minor league outings that I, I think there's enough time for them to get on the same page. Um, and I, I just don't think, uh, ER, ERA, ERA, for me to say ERA wise, um, catchers make that sort of there. I got, I don't buy into catchers ERA or any of those kind of stats. I always think that, um, you know, the issues with weeders were never about learning the pitching staff or anything like that or any adjustment there i think that most major league catchers can figure that out pretty quickly
0: yeah i think may, maybe even uh kurt Suzuki coming over from another NOE team if you do buy into that stuff could help and he knows kind of the tendencies of hitters already in the division
1: yeah yeah i mean i think those things are certainly advantages i think
0: that um
1: again i think that nowadays there's so much scouting video numbers and everything else, then I think that some of those inherent advantages are just equaled out by that. Um, And the fact that, you know, Ronald Cooney Jr. is still really good, so (laughs) you can have an inside source on him, but, you know, you still got to try to get him out, which is easier said than done. (laughs) Um,
0: So, obviously, they filled some of those key needs, and kind of the winter meetings are are looming. We expected the Corbin signing before that, and obviously we've had that, but they've still got some other needs. So starting pitcher, second base, reliever, maybe a backup first baseman, which of those do you think now comes to the, the top of the priority list? Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Um, it, You know, now the needs are somewhat minor. I think that, you know, you might, and I'm again speculating here, but you could see, I could see a scenario where they are a little bit quiet here recently, because usually just some of the top pieces come off the board before um, those other things happen, but, you know, uh, like a backup second, a backup first baseman, you know, a lefty first baseman, that's the mark I think that the last couple of years they've got out pretty early. I guess Adam Lynn was right before spring training, but Matt Adams, they got pretty early um, last year. Uh, you know, I, I can see them potentially going that way. I mean, trying to build a bench, um, you know, I think they could be interested in another reliever another lower and start. I, I, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, whether or not they'll focus in on one thing, I think that they can feel good about, they have basically addressed all the major needs, the things that they, they couldn't, it would have been neglect not to get a catcher. You know, it would have been difficult to not add any starting, you know, any front lines for sure starting pitchers. Um, you know, the bullpen they had to do something with. And I think that now you can kind of hunt back and say, okay, do we find a reliever that makes sense? You know, do we find another starter who, whether it be on a, a, a minor league invite, makes sense? Another guy who will potentially, uh, Jeremy Hellickson kind of deal for, you know, a one year kind of major league veteran, you know, just compete for a spot. Like, it, they can look around for just stuff that kind of makes sense right now. Um, and of course, while monitoring Harper. And I think that that'll be probably the next thing that, that'll, you know, be on the horizon is, is trying to get some kind of sense of, what is what is what has happened What's new on the harper thing and and is this gonna still drag out for another month is this gonna get resolved before the new year i mean just just having some kind of framework with that um i would think if i was running the show would be the next kind of just idea in my head because that's just that's the big expense you know the only other big expense that you have to add everything else um should be pretty reasonable just as far as you know dollars for your payroll next season
0: yeah, I think that's the that's the one thing that's kind of been good about this off season that they haven't waited for that big expense. They've got everything done before that, and like like we've reiterated before, it's been independent of Harper.
1: Yeah, it, it, it kind of, I'm pretty surprised by that. I mean, I know they came out and said it pretty much at the start of the you know, GM thing. Think Rizzo said it. I, th- and I thought to myself, there's no chance. <laughs> like, what? Well, just how how can it be? You know, how can they? you know, whether or not you're going you're gonna to spend $40 million and you don't know if you are or not. So I'm just going to keep spending and it potentially have this huge bill. And, you know, it's, it's a credit to them, I think, because I thought that it's going to hurt them if Harper is going to take until mid January or, or wherever they're going to drag this thing out to. I thought that you're going to, you may miss out on Patrick Corbin because perhaps you're going to be reluctant to go to that sixth year, you know, or, or you're going to miss out on uh, a catcher because, you know, you, whatever. Everybody needs to catch her and teams are going to start signing their whatever. Um, I think it's, it's a credit center. They have not waited on that. And if that means, I'll say the credit if that means that they still are going to be in on Bryce. I wouldn't do these things and then say, okay, well now we're, we don't need Bryce Harper, but they set themselves up as they continue to have, you know, the way they drafted, the way they've gotten Soto and Robles, and those guys ready. Um, it, losing Bryce is going to hurt and it's going to be a difficult thing to move on from regardless. They've set themselves up pretty much as well as you can um, to to try to 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 soften some of that blow uh, if Harper does not you know play in DC
0: next year. I think for for me probably the probably top of the priority list. Kind it kind of depends on Bryce now, uh, yeah. but I think second base is going to be one of those, and it's one that they've been reaching out to a lot of different free agents. I think um, they've reached out to the Mayhew, Jed Lowry, Josh Harrison, and. Marwin Gonzalez, um, but it's kind of an interesting one because you've got Carter Kibum waiting down in the minors and it kind of fits the mold of someone who's going to be a, a one-year, keep the position warm, let Kibum have as much time as he needs in the minors to get ready rather than a, a long-term deal for someone like Mayhew. Yeah,
1: so I mean, I'm curious that you think that they should go get a second baseman or do you think that that means that they should... Let the Kendrick default thing work out until Keyblum is ready, which could, think, be, which could be this year.
0: I think it, it's one of those luxuries that if right, if Harper doesn't sign, this is where we can assign some of the the payroll to get. Sure. I think what, one of those that I'm a big fan of is someone like Brian Dozier and get him in the the clubhouse and kind of um, get some of that veteran leadership that they've lacked. But kind of it's it's the like I said, it's the luxury of right. We've got some payroll now. Bryce is going off to wherever. Let's improve here and make sure our top prospect has all that time to develop as much as he needs to
1: yeah i've gone a little bit back and forth on this um at first when uh, you know they publicly they've they've been pretty steadfast that we do not need a second baseman. you know we feel good about where we're at and i first heard that and i thought this they're kidding themselves (laughs) uh just because I, i think that kendrick is enough of a question mark Another guy who we're talking about has not in two years played more than hundred games. Uh, he is coming off a, a major Achilles injury and he's 35, you know, at worst, you're not sure what his production is going to be at best. you got a guy who get you, even if he is productive, he's not going to probably play 150 games for you because it just, he has not done it and his body is, is getting older and has been injured to expect that much at a, still really productive pace just I think would be too much on him and it's similar to Suzuki as I was planning earlier so I think you're going to get to a position where you'd have to play more Defoe a lot and when Rodifo has proven that he can't really hit consistently enough to be playing right now he's a really really good defender and it's a team that I think lacks really good defenders and I think that that'll be a positive but um you know my thinking is just just based off what you're losing in your lineup if, if you don't have Harper or you know whatever just I was not sure you could just afford to give up on that position. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I think that I would be reluctant to sign. I'm not the biggest DJ, DJ LeMayhew fan in general. Um, I just think the splits away from Coors Field would bother me too much. Um, I would be reluctant to sign somebody on a big four-year or multi-year deal because I do think that Carter Keyboom is going to be ready perhaps as early as this summer, at the very least to start next year. And I think that to tie somebody up long-term when you've got this kid who's, who's clearly close to being ready, um, that you think very highly of, or Luis Garcia, who's also, you know, probably only a year behind him. Um, I just think that you have enough in your middle infield to say, we don't need, you know, it's not it's not by catch. We don't, it's not that this farm is not fair. And to have somebody who, you know, Ian Kenzo, somebody who just maybe can be a stopgap to split time with Kendrick, or somebody who can play a little bit of first base or Kendrick can play to first base and, and, and kind of just work that as a backup for Zim. Um, that's probably what I would do with this position is that I, I, but I do, I think they need to address it in some way. But this is not where I would probably be spinning at the, the top end of the pool here. I would probably lean into the middle or the next tier of second baseman infielders uh, to try to fill this need because, again, um, the division's gonna be really good next year. <laughs> you know, I mean, what the Mets uh, you know did today, the 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 Braves, the Phillies, obviously, we, you gotta hear how much about how much money they're trying to spend and what they're trying to do. Uh, you know, it's gonna be a good division next year. And that's that's kind of what I always think about when I'm thinking about this Nets offseason, is that you know, you can't afford to just kind of put band-aids and, and piece together your problems and say we'll figure these things out because you know. You know, right now is setting up that this is not the NL East of a couple of years ago. This is going to be one that's going to be competitive from day one, and it, you probably can't afford to dig yourself a hole in April and May and, and think you're going to be able to work your way out of it with a trade in July.
0: Yeah, I think I think I would probably be okay with it if Kendrick wasn't coming off that Achilles injury because he's the sort yeah. of second baseman that you you would target to be that stopgap until you get Keiblin ready.
1: Yeah. If you could, if you could, and that's, and, and you know, perhaps Kendrick is going to be ready. And, and I think that that's, you know, what people who would argue they don't need one and what people in the organization would argue they don't need one has told me is, is that, you know, 120 games of Kendrick and, you know, 40 games or whatever from default or whatever, maybe a little bit more just for other things, but, you know, having default, the other games there, that's 110, 150. That's a, a reasonable split, you know, to expect from those two. And I think that, yes, Technically, on paper, that sounds good. The only issue is I have no idea what I'm getting out of a 35-year-old coming up with an Achilles injury Mm -hmm. that hasn't played that regularly in three years.
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of a similar theme for the the starting pitching where you've got Joe Ross still coming off Tommy John, and that could be another area that they look at. But I guess in that situation, it makes more sense to go after a kind of, well, wait until like February, get someone in on a minor league deal. They've basically done it with – Henderson Alvarez, because um, like, like I said, you don't know what you're going to get out of Joe Ross. How many innings are you going to get? Um, you couldn't have Tanner Roark there, but like I said, it, it's uh, an interesting one and one where they kind of fell down last year. Yeah, it's
1: it's you know it, it's it's funny. I mean, just at the t- a time when starting pitching is sort of being like almost de-emphasized <laughs> for the rest of the league, when you know so many teams are. are in four or five, whatever, they're starting, they're fine with that. But they've got bullpen, so they can, you know, they their bull, bullpenning has been a thing, the opener and all that. Um, the Nats are still so heavily built and focused on starting pitching. Um, and it's worked. And it's, it's just, it's a very interesting kind of, uh, just conundrum or just the thing for me that I've been thinking about a lot probably in my last couple of years in the beat is that this team is really doubling down and with the Patrick Corbin signing doubling down on starting pitching is how we're going to win how we're going to build this team um, and and they felt you know of the many reasons that last year was a disappointment and and, and you know they didn't work uh, they think starting pitching is right there at the top you know if not number one it's 1A and I think that uh, there's reason to believe, and they look at the, the month of May when they were really, really, you know, they were 20 and nine, I believe. Their starting pitching staff was really good, and they pointed that say we could have had a team that could have maybe, you know, fixed some of these other the other injury issues or, or whatever um, the other kind of issues they had were if their starting pitching was good was good enough to hang in there, and it wasn't. And I think that now with Corbin in there, you can kind of focus in on on depth. You can focus in on, on like you said, finding guys who can come in, compete for jobs, guys to fill out. Not really is the fourth, fifth, because I do think Ken Aurora and Joe Ross are really, really good four or five. Um, they have question marks and they, we're not entirely sure what they have. But, um, you know, really you have those guys. You have Eric Fetty and then Shrug Emoji. <laughs> so it's kind of like getting guys to be able to, to whether it's pushing everybody back and making Joe Ross your six, you know, and you find somebody to get there or just adding some guys to be able to compete for jobs in spring training, or just in the minors, or just to have them on, on like an Edwin Jackson op it they, they need more guys like that. Because again, as I talked about in the open here that you, you have to count on a month from of being out. You know, you have to know that Joe Ross coming off an elbow surgery is still young. You, you know, you're still just a little bit tenuous with him. Tanner Roark, uh, I know everybody really likes him in the organization. Ted for three of the past four years, has had an ERA over four, or four-three. You know, you're just – there's a lot of questions here to say that um, the back of this rotation has still got some things to be desired. Um, so, I you know, talk about the next thing maybe on their, their to-do list. I would think just adding some depth to that rotation um, is probably going to be – it's going to be one of the ton of top priorities for, the, you know, for me for the rest of this offseason. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see whether they go out and maybe – trade for someone but um it probably does seem more likely they're gonna wait and let the market play out a little bit before pouncing on someone who's going to be good value at the end yeah
1: and there's also some some chances for trade i mean you know if you think you're going to sign bryce harper now all of a sudden you have a problem in the outfield mm-hmm. and i think that i've always been under the impression that you know i know everybody was thinking about what well, do you trade somebody for real muto or whatever i was like, well this is before, you know, they signed Patrick Corbin. I was thinking, like, maybe you trade an outfielder for a starting pitcher. Um, and just that maybe that makes sense. And, you know, and, and, I, and obviously the Robles and Soto don't seem like they're going anywhere regardless. Um, Michael Taylor is kind of the one that if, if they sign Harper, I would think that they for sure need to move Michael Taylor some way. Um, you know, Adam Bean is going to be kind of difficult to trade. Another guy is coming off some some injuries and is, you know, on the wrong side of 30, coming coming up on 30. Um so, I mean, I think that, uh, again, th- there's some room for them to say they could potentially trade somebody as well. And I think that outfield is another place. They just got so much depth there. And so many guys who are really, really good are going to have to play every day that, um, you know, you've got some room to, to, to wiggle there. Mm.
0: Um, so talking about other, other backups, uh, we talked about it before backup first baseman, uh, obviously Ryan Zimmerman, you, a bit like Stroudsburg, you can never count on him for no. 150, 160 games. You, that's, pretty much what made Matt Adams probably one of their best moves last off season. Um, So looking at kind of some of the other options out there, we can start with Matt Adams. Is there kind of a chance of a reunion there?
1: I would think so. I mean, I think that both sides seem to to like it. I I would, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly just kind of what his market's going to be. I don't know if he can find a, a starting job or somewhere where he can get more consistent playing time. I don't know if, you know, St. Louis has got a, you know, they're talking about Carl Goldschmidt and some other things too, but I know he loves St. Louis and loved, you know, getting traded back there. So I'm sure that that'll be something that he'll probably revisit with them as well. Um, this is when I, I I don't actually have a great sense of where the first baseman market is because I think that it's kind of been, it's been pushed back a little bit on their to-do list. And I think that that'll be, you know, maybe in the next weaker especially with winter meetings coming up we'll probably have a little bit more clarity on that um but yeah it's a position that they need somebody else because to to compliment Riz, uh, Rizzo Zimmerman uh because as we've seen Zim is is probably not going to get a full season out of him and again probably just best to not you know to not be betting on that to be to be giving this guy days off on nights nice game I almost treat him like a catcher where he's probably still gonna be best with games so. 120, 130 games or so and uh, giving him days off and giving him rest and and, and making sure you keep his body fresh is one of the most important things with him because, um, you know, he's proved pretty consistently over the last couple of years with the injuries when he's on the, you know, when he's playing, when he's, he's in the batter's box, he's still a really, really a good above average hitter. It's just about keeping him upright and finding a way to make sure that, you know, that's happened. I think that one of the biggest keys for them the last couple of years has been having a second, a first
0: baseman um,
1: who can play when he's out.
0: Yeah. I think that's been one of the key things. And when, when they signed Matt Adams, it was a bit, uh, it was an interesting one, whether he would produce just as much as Adam Lindy, because they kind of picked Lind off the scrap heap a bit and he came out hit, was it 300? And then you get Matt Adams coming in, who does exactly the same and obviously played a bit more. Hopefully if he does come back, we don't have to see him in left field again,
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah. You don't like, you don't like fun. I was all about Matt Adams in left field.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you made know about one good catch, I think.
1: Um, but, uh <laughs> <laughs> the rabba yeah, I know you're talking
0: about. <laughs> yeah, I think he would he would be a perfect fit. It depends whether he can get a start job because the last couple of years he I think he was really good with the Braves and even forced forced Force Freddie Freeman to third base, which was a fun experiment at the time as well. So okay. there there might be, but again, if he feels comfortable maybe in St. Louis, but if they go and get Goldschmidt, that probably takes it off the table and it seemed like he enjoyed his time in D.C., even if he was going back to where his home is in St. Louis.
1: Yeah, uh, again, it, it, it's, it's just kind of difficult to know exactly what he might get. Does he want some kind of multi-year deal now or or, or what? Um, but, yeah, I, I, I thought he was even more valuable, which is then what Adam Lynn was. And I thought Adam Lynn was kind of perfect for, for them. Um, but Matt Adams was – I liked that signing a lot when they made it, and I didn't expect just how good he would be, um, you know, even when he was on the, on, on, on the field. With mm. that last year. So um, you know, finding somebody like him or some kind of something similar to that same kind of role is again it's one of the one of the big things in their checklist uh going forward.
0: Yeah, and I guess the the last thing to touch on is the reliever market. So they've kind of beefed up that back end with Bearclaw and Rosenthal. Um it still feels kind of one arm short, perhaps. So yeah. kind of a, a lefty specialist type or maybe a, a high leverage type guy, perhaps
1: yeah i was thinking about this too where again this bullpen is is, is i think is okay right now it's still it's pretty good um but it, yeah it, it still does feel pitcher maybe too short and um Obviously, from the left side, they have something to be to to, to kind of be desired. I think that uh, Matt Grace had a really good year last year, and I think that there's reason to be optimistic about him. Uh, Samus Lace, everybody's favorite pitcher, is is obviously going to (laughs) be, you know, going to be kind of a question mark going into spring training. But having somebody that's more of a sure thing from the left side would make you feel a lot more just a lot better about this bullpen. Just having one more pitcher. I mean, bullpens are just so important, and really, you know, you need a big three or a big four. And, and Baron-Claude Rosenthal, I think, are really good. They're not necessarily sure things going into next year. I mean, it's, it's still realistic to say that either of those moves could work out, you know, one if not if not both. So uh, I think that having – so and again, I would be surprised unless – I'd be surprised if they were a high bidder on another reliever on the top of the market. I think that this is where they're going to look for value and see, okay, can we find somebody who we think could be really good or think is in for a bounce back that people are undervaluing or make a trade for or whatever it might be. Um, You know, I, I just would be, for them to go after, or if they're you know, Andrew Miller or those kind of types, I would be surprised at. But um, you know, at the same time, I mean, th- they've been really aggressive this offseason in kind of addressing those needs. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, in general, a long way of, of saying that I think that they do need to do something else in the bullpen. I think they will try to find something else in the bullpen, um, but this may be where they have to kind of get creative to say how you know maybe not having a, the budget to work with here, but what do we do to try to, to add maybe one more piece here to make sure that the bullpen is a strength and continues to be a strength for the entire year.
0: Yeah, I think uh for for once for Nets fans, we were actually coming in the 2018 <laughs> confident about the bullpen when it was Doolittle, little Madsen Kinsler and kind of compared to where it felt like last year it's a little step down because you've got we were expecting Madsen and Kinsler to pitch to their 2017 levels and they didn't quite do that especially early on so again you can't go out and shell however much Craig Kimbrell wants who wants a six-year deal for some strange reason yeah um so maybe you wait for someone not well it could be Greg Holland he's out there as well to fall through but if not like I said I think a lefty specialist is one that um that should be higher up the priority list. It depends on how much you're going to pay. There's not a lot, uh, not a lot out there on the lefty. But it's something that Dave Martinez likes to do, as we saw him trying to wedge the square peg Sammy Solis into that <laughs> round hole of the the loogie role, But maybe is is Solis kind of someone that they want to fall back on on that role if they don't go out and get someone to upgrade there.
1: Uh, man, it's Uh <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, it, there. I think there is so much of a differing opinion or just different kind of battling opinions right now on him. Um, and I think that basically they are, they want to see what they have. With him. And I think that the, the, again, the money that they cipher for him less than a million dollars for the one year deal is probably enough to say, we can at least get this guy in a spring training and see if there's anything here. And if not, somebody will take a flyer on him probably. So you could either trade him or worse comes to it. You can eat the money and cut him. But um, you know, I, I'm not sure where Solis gets into this bullpen. Like I said, I would think Matt Grace is kind of ahead of him right now on the depth chart, um, and you kind of see what you get from Solis as you as you go. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's 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 definitely not their strength right now. That that left-handed arm. But as you said, there's not a whole lot of guys out there, and the guys that are out there,
0: people are going to be bidding for. Um, yeah, I think uh, it, it's interesting because. Matt Grace is probably your best left-hander against left-handers, but yeah. he was really good in that multi-inning role coming in in mop-up duty. And um, like I think the the Red Sox game was one where he particularly stood out and went like four innings of one-hit ball, and that's that's where you want Grace. You don't want him being there just for lefties.
1: Yeah, and I think the I mean, big thing too is that a lot of relievers now are not even. Are, you can get a reliever that has some pretty close splits in general. You don't have to worry about matching him up against lefties or whatever. Um, but maybe you have tough lefties up, you, you're more inclined to use him. But I mean, I think just having another good reliever is, is just going to be a big thing for them. And, and if they if it comes to the left or the right side, that is kind of is what it is. Because even going last year, they didn't have a, a for sure thing on the left side. Um, outside of Doolittle, and then you know, obviously we can get to managers should be a little more inclined to use Doolittle, not just in the ninth inning. <laughs> but um, you know, yeah, I think that that is that is a thing that that for them, they want somebody who can pitch a full inning for them. They have to go six, seven, eight, nine, or seven, eight, nine, or whatever. Somebody who they can to know is is good in a full inning. I think they would probably value a little higher, just as opposed to saying this guy can get lefties out. Um, I think they just they know they need another arm. It, it, definitely in a bullpen. If he happens to be left-handed, it could be a huge plus. With
0: well, if Bryce Harper signs with the Phillies, we feel contractually obligated. Then,
1: then yeah, then, then you need to go yeah, Jerry <laughs> get yeah, Jared <Jerry> or, or, <laughs> or, or uh, one of those uh, who the lefties. I forget the, Mar- the Marlins have a guy who they use all the time. Uh,
0: or, then the the Braves use Sam Freeman against.
1: Oh, the yeah, and, and uh <laughs> you know, I feel like I see uh, what is um Adam Morgan is out a lot. Yeah, I'm <laughs> <by that.
0: laughs>
1: yeah, the random lefties of the NL East. Are, yeah they're going to be available
0: uh so obviously winterfest just wrapped up at the weekend we've obviously talked about bryce harper who was kind of the the buzz of winterfest even though he wasn't there but uh Mm -hmm. there were some some great quotes and i i enjoyed anthony rendon just not acknowledging him at all
1: (laughs) um he's a trade anthony rendon he he was in rare form this weekend at winterfest and he is uh he's great
0: (laughs) um But speaking of Rendon, I know that his extension came up and it sounds like both sides are still talking again. Is this something that's going to be independent of Harper, do you think? Uh, You know, I think
1: so. Um, I'm not actually entirely sure, and I think it's just difficult to tell if a Harper deal is reached. Does that automatically mean that a Rendon deal is not going to be reached? yeah, and again, I don't. I don't have a clear, definitive answer on that. And I w- would tend to think that, you know, it depends on what I guess what Rendon's money is going to be and, and what that market's going to be, and and if the Nats feel like they can get him at some sort of a discount before. And I don't. I don't think it's going to be. I. I just don't know. I mean, on one hand, I don't think he is. You know, he has been very open about that you know, he's willing to to talk extension. And as I talked about, they've had extension talks. They want him back. Um I don't think that means he's going to come at a huge discount or anything. I think that obviously not being on the open market he's not going to get as much as he could get. but when we're talking about a guy who's still going to be paid pretty well um, you know I, I, the known the talks are just really inter- interesting to me because they have so both sides so clearly open to talking about how much they would like to be back um, and are willing to negotiate and talk about it and have talked about it on several points over the past year. Um, You know, and yet nothing's been done. And that's something that's kind of also important to say that, um, you know, they've said this a lot and said it, but, you know, they haven't made a deal yet. And they actually still have the arbitration uh, contract, this this last contract to work out. So perhaps that's when it's going to come here this next January or February. Um, But you know, at this point, it's still kind of tough to tell exactly how much they, you know, Boris and company and Rendon believe they're worth and what the Nats are, are kind of coming in at, because we haven't really heard any kind of reported figures or numbers or what that could be. Um, you know, I I, I think were Rendon is really, really, really good. And I would just be, I'm really intrigued to think about what that, what he could get on the free agent market. Um, especially if he's still never been an all-star and is still always finishing second to to in on the gold glove and, and, and it's kind of still hasn't got the accolades necessarily but you're talking about a guy who is, has been um, as good as he has been as consistent as he has been um, for as long as he's been um, it, 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 he's a fascinating player for a lot of reasons and i think that uh, the fact that i can't give a really good number to say what you know what he might get because there's there's a big case that he can make something. You know, probably not years wise, but value wise is somewhat close to what Harper Machado and that those players are going to get. Obviously, a little bit older, but um yeah, it's just it's going to be an intriguing case to see whether or not they can get something done with him because they do they have talked, they are going to talk again, and they seem can you know willing to try to make some kind of headway on that front.
0: Yeah, I I think there's a there's a couple parts going on. There's the part of There's a few big third basemen on the market. We saw Donaldson go for 23 million to the Braves, and then you've got Machado. If you want to classify him as third base, is that going to dictate the market a little bit, perhaps?
1: And and you're right. That's that's a good point. It probably will. I mean, they'll probably look at Donaldson, 23 million, and they'll say that he's older. Rendon is, is you know, is in a better part of his career or whatever. If he's getting 23 per year, and, and Donaldson may be a free agent next year too. I mean, and that's just—it's just, just there's such a weird. That's why the Donaldson deal actually was one of the weirder things about it. Uh, and I liked it a lot for praise. But one of the weird things was, you know, I believe Arenado is also up next year. Yeah, yeah, Arenado's up next year. Rendon's up. The third base market is going to be really good next year. Uh, <laughs> you know, as it currently stands. So for Donaldson to kind of take a one year deal and then bet on next year. I was just like, oh, that's an interesting, just interesting gamble for me because you know you could potentially be the third or fourth best third baseman on the market. Um, but yes, at the same time, he's also got a chance to be really good for Rendon and everybody else. That if Donaldson at twenty three million, who's older Rendon, and, and maybe that is good anymore, uh, you know, what does
0: that mean Rendon is worth? Yeah, and I think the the other thing is if Bryce Harper then does go and leave, do they start trying to get more aggressive in those talks it, it, to make sure that he stays and they don't lose two kind of franchise cornerstones
1: and another get another good point but it's kind of difficult to tell whether or not i would assume that it would make you more inclined to, to sign anthony but um you know it's, it's again it's is hard to tell without being there see
0: exactly what we're getting a kind of a window into the learners minds doesn't know what they would do hmm. uh were there any other particular storylines from winterfest that kind of jumped out at you
1: uh you know i mean <laughs> I think mean, Winterfest is, 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 is one of my favorite fests. It's kind of fun to try to see everybody in and, and where and, and hear um almost get like a, a window into what their offseason is and to what they're trying to do. Um, you know, I mean the thing that we'll probably talk a lot about, but heading into spring training will just be the the coaching staff and they're really preaching a lot about fundamentals and about uh trying to focus on little things and those kind of you know, that's gonna be a, a buzzword you'll hear a million times, I'm sure, in February and March. Um and one of the things I'm kind of intrigued by that, and I'll probably write about it some point here soon, is that uh, you know they talk about improving the little things and getting better on defense and base running and these kind of things. And I'm not sure that those problems last year were just a coaching staff problem because I think they are more of a personnel problem. And I, I always saw hints of those things when Dusty was there, and they were they were obviously much better. Than what they were last year, but I don't think that this was just the coaching staff came in and all of a sudden they got bad at base running. They had a bunch of bad base runners, bad defenders, um, and guys who don't, you know, throw the right cutoff man or whatever. <laughs> uh so I, you know, I wonder whether or not that can be improved just by sheer work, or that is something that is just gonna have to be. We need to get new infielders in here or new players or whatever. Um, I'm intrigued by that. And I think that's one of the things that I've started already thinking about heading the next season after Winter Fest, is that. Um, you know that that's going to be a, a you know a, a point of em- emphasis for them, and whether or not they're going to be better, or you know they're going to just be able to hit and pitch better. So those things will not be <laughs> matter as much.
0: <laughs> I think you've rather hit little things all all uh, spring than camels and all the other gimmicks <laughs> that you came
1: out with. I'm all about the gimmicks, so you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me more gimmicks. Again, if I haven't emphasized enough, spring training is literally eight years long. So give me enough things to entertain us, please.
0: (laughs) Uh, So we've got a few listener questions to wrap up. We've got one from Subir and he says, if Harper is gone, where does the power come from in the next lineup? And I think we've talked about a couple of the players there. I think Rendon's power is understated a lot, but you've also got Zimmerman in there when he's healthy. There's kind of the two main power sources if Harper does indeed leave.
1: So this this has always been my argument, and and you know I don't know whether or not how you fall on the bring Bryce back or let him go kind of argument here, but my argument is if you lose him, you know, and and people say okay, well now we have Soto or now we have Robles, um, it's reasonable to project that Soto was going to have a little bit of a regression. I think he's still going to be really really good, but he's going to be as good as he was there. <laughs> probably not i mean if so then you've got a really really special player on your on your hands but um you know reason to project a little bit of regression from him and reasonable to say robles is 21 and in the majors it has been brief time it's been september but he hasn't hasn't lit the world on fire or anything so not you know to expect him to come in and just pick up the pieces for bryce harper you know pick up where bryce left off i always thought i just think is a little bit of just high expectation and i think this is where they are potentially in line to, to, to struggle a little bit. I think their lineup, their lineup is going to take a step back if Harper is not there. And I know the arguments will come in that Harper is not consistent and all the issues that he's had and such, and I, and I those are all valid points. Um, he still is night in and night out, perhaps their best hitter, if not their second best hitter. And losing your second best hitter without really replacing him from last year um, is, you, you know, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a hurdle for them to to overcome. I think they're set up Okay to do it because again the the way that you replace them is that Soto's really good again Robles is a stud and your catchers are not giving you zero anymore so now you got a plus there and I think just the total combined effort and if you have Rendon you have as healthy as ever been um, and Trey is is, is good again and, and Kendrick's there I mean your lineup should be fine if all those things are, are are equal but um if one of those things goes down you know Harper was for all his faults he was there. He was taking his walks and he was he was having a 400 strong base percentage all season. And it's just gonna be difficult to replace that um, regardless of what they do.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think Rizzo summed it up pretty well when he said they're they're comfortable with the lineup without Harper, but they kind of dispel the notion that their lineup's gonna be better without him.
1: Yeah, and I and I completely agree with that, where I think again, they're set up as well as you possibly can be probably you know without it could lose a player like that but you're you're gonna feel the impact of it because this guy was again had a four for all his faults he he was on base four out of ten times (laughs) you know all the time and there's just few players in the history of the game as a matter of fact that do that
0: yeah and even even if you talk about the inconsistencies he's going to carry your team for 40 50 games
1: exactly at least in april
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh so the second question we have ross ask are there any plans to? is Joe Ross in the start of the season, or will be a full go? I guess the way they've ha- they handled it with Strasburg was they they let him off the leash a little bit early on and kind of toned it down as the season went on. Is that kind of the plan we would expect? Yeah, it,
1: again, it's still really unclear um, with Joe because I think that they last year was just like, okay, let's get him on a mound for him and for us to let him throw, and let's have a he's having, a all accounts, a normal offseason and then you know, let's get to spring and let's see what he's gotten, what he's feeling. I think that that'll be a lot of how it, it what determines with him, um, you know, ideally by the start of next season, you don't really have any restrictions on him because you're talking about, you know, almost two years now removed from the surgery. So I think that their, their hope probably is that we can go, uh, and, 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 uh, and just let Joe Ross loose. I mean, is that I mean, it's going to throw 35 starts in Twitter innings no but to essentially have him out there and start him every day and and be able to monitor him from there and, and again perhaps you have to skip a start or get him on a DL, just whatever it is from there but i think that um if he is healthy and good enough to make the starting rotation their idea is going to be that he
0: is full go yeah and i think for him in particular it may make sense to slow him down at the end right rather than the start because i think he's come out he came out of the bullpen in 2016 against the against the Dodgers in the playoffs. So maybe you kind of ease him into that role, have him pitch a couple innings down the road, perhaps. I think he ended up making that start,
1: right? Because...
0: It was him or Lopez. I can't remember which way around. Yeah,
1: and I think they made... Because who it was? Well, Strasburg was hurt, right? Yeah, he made a start. He made a start at Darter State, and he pitched three and a third or so there. But uh, the point stands that, I mean, he's got experience out of the bullpen, and I think that there's still probably an argument that perhaps his best you know at the end he may end up as a as a uh, kind of that swing man or even a longer labor two or three inning kind of role um but if if he wins a job in the rotation and they want him in rotation I think that they will um the, the the gloves will probably be off if they put him in the rotation um mm. and again that'll depend on what they do the rest of the
0: winter as well and then the the last question we got from Crystal was when will Carter Kieboom be called up and I think we touched on it before it it's going to depend on his development because we still yeah. forget Although he's been lighting up high A and did well at double A, you don't know how he's going to fare as he kind of gets towards the top. And that's where, personally, I think that second base improvement comes in and you you give him the time. And if he is ready by, say, July and he's torn up triple A, then you've only got that one-year deal on the filling. So it's difficult to say, but I would be surprised if we don't see him at any point this year.
1: Yeah, I, I, at the very least, he'll probably be a September call up. Um, I'd probably put the over under somewhere in July. Um, and I would, okay, maybe I put in August and I'd say under. But <laughs> 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 you know I mean, I, like somewhere this summer, I think potentially you could see him. Um, I think it's, again, it's going to uh, depend a lot on his development. But also, the biggest thing is he's not played second base regularly, pretty much ever. Not ever, but in the minor leagues with the Nets. I mean, he said it's been, uh, you know, years really since he's been at that position regularly. And I think that they, it's much the emphasis they want to put on defense and a little things and or whatever. They don't want to throw in a, a guy who's never played second base, basically, at, at that high of a level. So I think that getting him just reps in the minors at second base is going to be as big as anything in the first half to say, let's get him comfortable out there. So we do have to put him in the majors. He's not learning on the fly. Um, and if he hits while he's doing that, then we can, you know, we'll probably see him at some point in, in June or July. Um, but yeah, I think that unless something, unless he has some kind of setback or he doesn't like to handle second base, we're, we're going to almost for sure see him as in DC at some point in
0: 2019. Hmm. So pretty much wraps up. I want to say thanks to Jamal for joining us on the podcast and where can our listeners find you on social media?
1: Yeah, at at Jamal Collier, um, you know, on Twitter talking about random bull crap in the Nats as well. Um and then uh it's pretty much really all I'm using out there. There's Twitter. But uh yeah, you know, come on Twitter and also all my stuff and stuff. So nationals.com, mlb.com. Um of course to kind of you reading all the latest and updating just some of my thoughts on on uh you know this team and just some of their moves throughout the off season.
0: Yeah, just don't go on your Twitter feed if you haven't seen the new Harry Potter yet.
1: If you yeah exactly, <laughs> you, I, I really I give people about th- a weekend depending on maybe a week for spoilers, and then I'm full go. So <laughs> so you have to mute me if you don't see like the new Game of Thrones within like two days. You just you just go ahead and mute me. I given you permission to say <laughs> that because I'm going to spoil it, and it just is your fault that you haven't watched it already because it just we, I have to talk about it. <laughs>
0: Uh, so remember to check out some of our new content this week, our new contributor Matt Holleran looked at why Nathan Eavoldi might be a good sign-in, kind of a uh, little bit <laughs> interesting with the Corbin signing now, um, and then I analysed how Catcher has gone from a weakness to strength, kind of touching on how they were getting zero production before and now it looks like a strength. Remember to follow us on Twitter at District On Deck, give us a like on Facebook, District On Deck, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spreaker, where you can get episodes downloaded automatically. We'll be back later on in the off season. And hopefully when we do it, the Nats will make a, another big signing. Maybe it, we'll plan it for when Bryce signs. So we'll see you then.